Welcome everybody um, to our, the fourth evening in our series of autumn lectures on Jesus of Nazareth. And tonight it's very good to welcome our own Heidi Lewis as our speaker. And Heidi will talk about the community Jesus. Good. Well, let's pray together and then I'll introduce Heidi. So on the 11th day of the 11th month. Father, on this Armistice Day, we remember those who gave their lives for the sake of freedom. And we remember all who work for the reconciliation and peace between nations and communities today. We pray for our evening together as we focus on the Prince of Peace. Bless and anoint your servant Heidi as she speaks to us and as we listen. And may we learn how to better live out the good news in our communities through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. So it is, it is a great pleasure to welcome Heidi to, as our speaker this evening. Um, I, I didn't realize she brought up around in South London, Croydon. Um, moved to Cardiff for university to study music but did you know that she worked in a wine shop in Earl's Court and she's even got a, a certificate for qualification recognized by the wine industry could come in handy around here I suppose she decided to train as a teacher she moved to Devon to train she's been here for 20 years in education uh, she's also worked for a while in performing arts schools as a vocal coach. I think you did up in Shrewsbury, didn't you? I think, mm -hmm. Or somewhere around there. And she also, as you know, Heidi teaches violin. Uh, not so easy to do at the moment during this pandemic. Um, but she, And Heidi's training as an evangelist with the church army. Uh, she grew up attending a lively Methodist church in Warningham near Caterham. And as an adult has attended all kinds of churches from high Anglo-Catholic ones to ones that meet in school halls and another in someone's kitchen. She loves alternative expressions of church, but also the solidity of a traditional service. Felt called to work vocationally when she was 17 and then says she spent 20 years trying to avoid it because she didn't want to become a religious nutter. Well, bad luck, we know you are now. Uh, but anyway, Heidi, it's great to welcome you and we look forward to what you have to say to us and what we can learn from you. Okay, thank you. Okay, so I have um, PowerPoints for you to uh, look at today. So I'm just going to share my screen and I'll then be shrinking all of you down. So if you, if you do want to say anything, you will need to put it in the chat because I won't actually be able to see you waving at me or making faces at me or anything like that. So just give me a moment while I sort my screen out. Okay. Okay, so before I begin, I just want to uh, make something a little bit clear, really. Um, I am not an expert in any way on community, but I am somebody who's very enthusiastic about it, um, which means that I do spend a lot of time thinking about it, reading about it, learning about it. Um, and possibly because I am enthusiastic about it, and it is something that leaps out to me when I see um, an article or a news report or something like that um, and possibly because of the training that I'm doing 
Um, I might be a bit further along the road in thinking um, about community and what it means for us as a church um, than perhaps some other people, just because I have already given it sort of some time consideration. And particularly what this expression, the community Jesus, might actually mean for us as well. So I think quite a good starting point then would be to um, think about what the word community actually means. So these are dictionary definitions of the word community. Um, it's a group of people living in the same place. It's a particular area or place um, considered together with its inhabitants. It's the condition of sharing or having certain attitudes or interests in common, um, such as you might find in a church. Um, and actually it's fairly evident that we are all part of communities, some perhaps um, that we identify with quite readily, some that are kind of coincidental to our lives. Um, there are communities where we have worked. There are communities where maybe we have gone to college or to university, um, churches that we've attended. They might be um, communities which are related to our hobbies or our interests. It could be a choir. It might be a um, enthusiast group of some kind. Um, and there might also be organizations that you belong to that are, um, could be said to be a community as well. But at the heart of all these small communities is, is kind of one common thing. And that common thing is actually people. Um, and each community focus tends to be around the people who are in that community. And they might be our family. They might be our friends. These might be lifelong friends who we have known since we were children. This particular um, school photo here is actually um, a picture of uh, my class when I was seven. So you can have a good look at that and see if you can work out which one I am. Um, and I'm still in touch with some of the people in this photo, which is incredible when you think about how long ago it was. Um, they might be slightly more recent friends or colleagues or people who we share interests with or we do our hobbies with. And they could be people who we know from our church community as well. So if community is something that we all have an experience in our lives, why is, why is it so important that we are part of a community? And is being part of a community actually biblical? Is it necessary? And why do we find it important that we can identify with a particular community somewhere? Why do we feel as though we need to belong? And these two guys here, these little guinea pigs, this picture of a pair of guinea pigs, um, kind of illustrates why community is important. Um, guinea pigs can live alone, but they are happier when they live with at least one other guinea pig, and they are even happier, and you see more natural behaviour when they live in bigger groups, and they live in colonies. From their colony, they get affection, companionship, security, and a sense of protection, and maybe even a feeling of being loved and needed as, from being part of that group. And as human beings, we need exactly the same things. But I wonder if we actually need them as followers of Christ as well. Now, did Jesus have a community? Was Jesus part of a community? Well, Jesus was a human being. So, yes, he had a family. He had friends. He had followers. He had apostles, disciples. He was brought up in a village, lived in a town, lived in a village. Um, he attended synagogue. He went to the temple. Um, we see examples of him being part of a community throughout 
um, the Gospels, we know that he shared meals with people. Um, when I was researching for this, I found that there are actually 10 examples just in Luke's Gospel alone of him sharing a meal with, with friends and with people who he met. Um, we also know that he celebrated. He, you know, the very first miracle is, uh, takes place at a wedding. We also know that he celebrated Passover with um, his friends as well. In fact, he sent somebody, he sent the, a group of them ahead to prepare for that Passover meal. Um, and even when he was dying on the cross, he saw his community standing in front of him and, and members of his family were there, but he asked people who were outside of that immediate family community to look after his mother, Mary, after his death. So he looked to his community to extend that protection to his own family as well. And then in the early Christian church, we see more examples of community. Um, soon after Jesus' death, it becomes apparent that, in fact, we read it in, in Acts 4, as I've written here. This isn't a quote from the Bible. This is just me paraphrasing. Um, but the early Christian church lived together as a community um, so that they can ensure that nobody went without, that everybody had what they needed. They shared their resources. They shared their money. Um, but we do also know that they did struggle with it because it was a community made up of human beings and community made up of people is bound to cause at some point conflict. And um, obviously over time they moved away from this very, what could have become a very insular or almost commune-like um, experience. Um, although they still remained a community with shared values and um, experiences. So going back to this definition of community then, Community, according to these definitions that we've got in front of us, uh, the word community is a noun. It is um, a thing. It's a group of people. It's a particular area or place. Um, it's a shared attitude that people have. It's something that you have. It's a thing. But I actually think that as Christians, with our church communities, if we are, doing, if we are really being a community, that community is not a noun and should actually be a verb. Because community shouldn't be something that we are, but it should be something that we do. And here are some reasons why. Okay, now we know that the Bible tells us that we are loved, but the Bible also tells us that Jesus gave us the commandment to love one another. And then further reading shows us that loving one another having that emotion, that feeling of love for one another is only the beginning. One of my favorite um, Bible passages is um, from James 2. And I hear I've referenced it as James 2 verses 14 plus, because I'm never quite sure where to finish reading this particular bit, but I'm just going to read a couple of verses to you now. So it's titled Faith and Actions. My friend, what good is it for one of you to say that you have faith if your actions do not prove it? Can that faith save you? Suppose there are brothers or sisters who need clothes and don't have enough to eat. What good is there in your saying to them, God bless you, keep warm and eat well? If you don't give them the necessities of life, so it is with faith. It is alone and includes no actions. Then it is dead. And again, in... Um, 1 John 3 verse 18 it says again my children our love should not just be words and talk it must be true love that shows itself in action 
So to my mind, if we are a community in church, we should be a community that are doing things. We shouldn't just be existing um, on a Sunday morning between the hours of whatever time the service is in whichever church you attend. Um, you know, for the hour, we're not just a community once a week, we are a community that is ongoing. Now, I'm just going to read, I've got a couple of books that I want to share with you later, but I'm just going to read now a passage from a book that I found particularly um, inspirational a while back. I'll show you later on what the book is, but I'm just going to read you this extract for the moment. Okay, there are countless numbers of people in England who for very different reasons and in very different circumstances find themselves alone or hungry or restless or empty or without hope or burdened with guilt or trapped by compulsive drives or just plain bored with money, leisure and celebrity culture. There are others among us who face serious and life-threatening illness or the breakup of a marriage, the loss of a child, the struggle with sexual identity and whole communities, clusters, groups of people, asylum seekers, school children, farmers, fishermen, wealthy suburbanites, teenage mums, young sophisticates, musicians, gamblers and sports people, health workers and students, all of whom have simply never heard the gospel of Jesus that makes sense to them in any way. To all these people, individuals and people groups, at this point in our history, God requires his church to go. Once they came to us, for one and a half thousand years, the church in England has been a settled church. The word come has been said to define our mission as a Christian community. Here we are, come to us. We'll baptise your children, marry you, bury your dead. And if you want to know a bit more, if you're interested in the Christian faith, why not come to a confirmation group? And so for years they've come, not in droves, but in a steady, steady trickle, enough to keep the Church of England at least feeling that it was fulfilling its mandate to be the Church of a nation. Yet clearly, increasingly, they're not coming to us. The reasons are complex and multifaceted. The reality is that mainstream culture no longer brings people to the church door. Instead of come to us, the new approach is to go to them. What is clear is that the defining word for the church and its mission has changed from come to go. Um, I'm actually going to read that last line again. I'm slightly going to change it um, to, to kind of enhance, I hope, the meaning. Um, the church and its mission, has, the defining word for the church and its mission has changed from come and join our community to go out to theirs. And I think when we go to other people's communities, where we try and meet them where they're at, when we enter into their hobbies, their interests, when we try and join with them and become part of their community, um, we can also show part of our community and take a little bit of what defines our community with us. We need to be careful that we don't go in as those religious nutters um, and we actually become off-putting to people when we are inviting them in. Um, and we need to do it carefully and sensitively as well. Now, my own personal response to this is, um, well, I think most of you know, is that I, I am part of Church Army. Um, what you might not know about Church Army is that they are, they are it's, not, it's not a college, although I am training with them, um, and they provide training for people like me, but the Church Army is actually primarily a uh, monastic community. 
And it was founded in 1882 by a chap called Wilson Carlyle um, in response to the poverty and social injustice that he saw around him in Victorian London. And skip forward many, many years. And in 2012, the church army actually became um, an acknowledged community in the Anglican church. And the thing that defines this particular community um, is our shared purpose of evangelism. And it's dispersed community, which means that we don't live together, but we are connected and we share common values, aims and goals, even though we live apart. So we do support each other remotely. We do meet together at certain times, although of course not recently. Um, but we do also have these shared visions, vision and uh, way of being. So we have what we call our DARE strategy, which is all centered around evangelism, as you may be able to see. So DARE stands for doing evangelism. We do evangelism. We go out and we do evangelism. We advocate for evangelism. We resource evangelism and we enable evangelism to take place in church communities and mission communities and kind of anywhere that we are invited to work really. And to be able to do that, we also have these shared values that we sort of live by and go by. Um, I'm not going to go through these in detail, but I will read them. They actually, the initial letters of each one spell the words grace up, which um, is quite handy because that's obviously very re relevant to um, our actual mission as well. Um, so the first one is generous. You know, we have a generous God and we want to reflect that generosity back into the community. And um, we're risk takers, we are prepared to take risks, and we are also prepared to succeed, which is brilliant, but we're also prepared to fail. And when we fail, we expect to look at what we've done, reflect on it, learn a lesson from it, and then move on to the next new thing and hopefully not make that same fail again. We're accountable to God and to others. We are collaborative. And personally, this is one of my favorite ones. This is not about going into a situation and telling people what to do. It's about going into a situation and working in partnership with people to share our values. Um, and that actually can mean working um, cross-culturally and it can mean working in, in a interfaith environment as well. And we are expectant. We're hopeful and we expect God to do new things among us. We're also unconditional. And I do think that in some ways Church Army are you know, a little bit more ahead than a lot of church communities in this way. Um, we will serve anybody regardless of their gender, age, race, sexuality, faith, ability, status or circumstance. And then this very last one, prayerful, um, I always imagine this, whenever I hear this word in this context, I always think of prayerful as almost being like a bowl, a bowl shape with the word prayerful, where it is actually supporting and holding up and wrapping itself around all the other words in these, this uh, set of values and sort of underpinning it and holding all of these up. Um, so the way Church Army expresses all of those values is um, in so many different ways that I can't even really begin to tell you about them now. If you want to find out more about them, you can have a look at the Church Army website where there's got quite a lot of um, information there. But I have just put a slide up that sort of just highlights some of the key things from over the last year that have been happening across Church Army. For me personally, aligning myself with Church Army values gives me, um, enables me to be equipped through the training that I'm doing 
and to have the skills and knowledge that I need to be able to reach out into communities, seeking to bring these people who are in communities outside of the church into the church community itself. It would be very easy for a church community to become um, a little idyllic bubble on its own, um, sort of looking after each other, people who are within the community, and probably doing a very good job at doing that as well. But actually the real value of it is when um, that church community can um, actually launch itself out and reach out to other communities and help to bring the people within those communities closer to the knowledge of the gospel message. And I'm actually, I've got a couple of stories from um, some of these books here. Now, this is a series of books that I absolutely love. Um, and I love them because they are, um, there's nothing in these books that is earth shattering. It's all stuff, all the examples that they give, all the case studies that they use are all things which are very accessible. Um, and some of them you read and you just think, well, this seems so obvious to do now that I've read it. Why, why aren't we doing it where I am? Um, so I'm actually going to share with you a couple of stories um, of some of the things that people did to reach out to communities and also to welcome people from other communities in. So this, these two particular stories I'm going to share with you now are taken from Mission Shaped and Rural. And I've chosen these ones because I think they're um, examples which are not dissimilar to our setting here in, in Ashford in the morning thing. So this, this one is called Post Church. On Monday, Thursday in 2004, people in Sheepy Magna pondered the servanthood of Jesus washing his disciples' feet and opened a new satellite post office in the base of the church tower. The project involved major, churches, major changes to the church's building, including the provision of water and toilet facilities. The post office is open two mornings a week and at the same time, refreshments are served in the new community area. The church sells local newspapers, bread and confectionery products made by a local baker and are about to have a connect computer point set up so, that so residents can access information more readily. As the facilities of the church have improved, concerts, singing, a mum's toddlers group and an arts group and other activities have sprung up. And I like this idea because this is the local, the church community looking at their local community and thinking, what doesn't it have? And what do we have the capacity to offer them that will improve the um, life of our community around us? And of course, when you start to reach out in that way, you then start to make new connections and you start to come into contact with people who, you know, they might not want to come to church, but they may well want to come to the post office that you've got in the bottom of your church tower. Um, this second example is actually an example of a church trying to make itself more accessible to people who are not used to going to church. So this is um, about a church in a little village with fewer than 650 people in the east of Anglia. It's a typical small rural church occupied by a typically small rural congregation. Church members wanted to have a gathering which would encourage people who never came to church to feel welcome, unthreatened and relaxed. After much prayer and discussion, and based on heartfelt concern for the village community, the cafe church was born. The rector writes, we deliberately steered away from the term service. People gather in the church at about 10 a.m. on the third Sunday of the month. The building is warm, and they are greeted by the aroma of real coffee and hot croissants 
and a whole lot of meeting and greeting takes place. Around 10.30, folks move to the pews and an interactive Christian drama takes place involving adults and children of all ages. This is now known as the parable players. Much is ad lib with narrators telling the Bible story while others act it out. And there is always much fun and laughter. This is followed by a simple explanation of the meaning and relevance of the drama. Prayers take place involving adults and children, followed by a worship song and dismissal. All this is led by elders, church wardens and lay folk. The rector having a nine parish multi-parish benefice only gets to go to cafe church if a baptism is requested. Cafe church has been in existence for 16 months with attendances of around 49, which includes a few quite a few children. So this is a, a, a church that looked out and thought, what sort of thing would our local people be interested in coming to on a Sunday morning? Actually chance to meet together, share breakfast, um, have some fellowship, talk to each other and have some fun together as a community. And it's a lovely, um, to my mind, a lovely expression of um, church that is um, open and welcoming to everyone. So the reading that I read earlier on about um, the church needing to go out rather than expecting people to come in um, actually comes from this book, Mission Shaped Spirituality. And I've just quoted from this one, but all five of these books are very easy to read and are well worth looking at, particularly for after a little bit of inspiration. So I'm actually coming to the end of my talk part of this evening. Before we get to the breakout rooms and the Q&A um, session, I want to leave you with a few thoughts. Um, and here is one thought. And it's the thought that the church, the church community should actually be a launch pad for us to be able to go out and meet with other communities. It shouldn't be, our church community shouldn't be in isolation, it should be part of another community. And I suppose it's a bit like um, a Venn diagram where you have different communities and there will be parts where they overlap. And we need to be finding those overlapping points and making connections and bringing people into community with us as well. Being and doing or doing community actually isn't easy. We, if we want to reach out, we also need to be prepared for change to happen as new people come in. And it can be quite difficult to do that without any kind of stress or strife. Um, so as we move into breakout rooms in a few minutes, um, I have got a few questions that you might want to ponder over or reflect back at me, even maybe when we come back to the Q&A. Um, although I'm not sure that I've actually got any answers to these either. Um, so how can we reach out into our local communities? What links can we make? Uh, bringing others into our community means change. How willing are we really to make those changes? How radical or non-conformist could we be? Thinking back to, back to Kevin's talk last week, Jesus was a radical. He did not play by the rules. You know, how radical are we prepared to be? Um, how do we welcome in the newcomers? How do we show them that we value them? And are we able to open ourselves up to change by letting the newcomers have roles so they could, that they can grow in their feeling, in, in their membership of this new church community that they might be coming into. So before we go to the q and I just wanted to um, 
I would say again, I think community is important because we saw Jesus being part of the community. We see him reaching out into community areas that Jewish people did not normally reach out into. There's lots of mention of Samaritans and tax collectors and people who are outside of normal Jewish society, people who were considered unclean and unworthy to be part of that community. He broke those rules and he reached out into those communities and he then brought them into the new community of them recognizing him as the Messiah. And I just, it's, it's challenging for us sometimes to reach out and to welcome in. Um, so it would be good in a few minutes to uh, hear perhaps people's thoughts on all of that. Thank you very much, Heidi. Lots of food for thought there. Um, brilliant. So look, what I'm suggesting now is we have a bit of time in wider groups, you can go and get yourself a drink now, but perhaps in 15 minutes time, so about 20 past eight, we'll meet back again. And Kevin will work the magic. I don't know whether he presses numbers or what, but you'll get spun off and probably put with people you don't want to be with. No, you'll be put with into a community, in a small group community, as Chris has been saying. And you'll share. At the moment, I don't have the opportunity or ability to create breakout groups. I don't know why that is. Have you not been given the power as a Methodist? I haven't been given the power. It is, it's an Anglican stronghold, I think you'll find. Um, it's <laughs> probably because I've made your co-host rather than host, which I can fix right now. Uh, Give him the power. You now have complete control, Kevin. Oh, right, I'm going to put you into three breakout groups, that's be five, five uh, screens each. Okay, so there are three, three breakout groups. You'll need to accept the invitation to join one and see who you meet. Can I just point out that my group was the best and put the world to rights. So I just wanted to say that, okay? And now, oh, really? You should right. have heard our group. Brilliant. <laughs> <laughs> I was in a very difficult group, let me just assure you. Okay. Welcome back, everybody. Um, there are some questions, first of all, in the chat line anyway. Um, which, Heidi, I don't know if you, you want to have a crack up at some of these, um, particularly the there's Chris coming in saying, is evangelism an off-putting mm -hmm. word? The use of the word evangelism, and then there's also what is an evangelist? What is evangelism? What is an evangelist? Yeah, I mean, I, I have to say, I think Chris is is probably right. I think, uh, to a certain extent, anyway, I think evangelism is actually a very off, off putting word. And uh, like Mark said when he was introducing me earlier, I I had a calling at the age of seventeen, um, and at that time I had a friend who would run around a lot and telling telling everybody that he wanted to be um, an evangelist. Um, and it actually was really irritating. And, and I just thought the last thing I want to be is, is an evangelist, like religious nutter who goes around telling everybody what they should, should believe. And sort of, you know, it's that classic image of, you know, somebody standing on a street corner and hitting people over the head with fibers as they go past and saying, this is what you've got to believe, you know. Um, I think it's, it's quite an a, a, um, a unfamiliar word for a lot of people. And certainly in church army, um, they have a, a very broad spectrum understanding of the word evangelist and what the expression of evangelism actually looks like in a practical way. Um, and it's a word that I've actually had to come to terms with because, you know, when you know, they said, you know, you'll be training as an evangelist. And I was thinking, 
well, do I want to actually, I'm not an evangelist, do I want to be an evangelist? And then I realised actually that the way I think and the things that I consider important are actually, you know, evangelism, really. But I think you're right. But it's like a lot of those kind of technical, you know, church jargon type words are very off-putting if you don't know what they mean. You do have to be careful how we use them. Heidi, can I just add something? Because it might mm. just, and, and pe perhaps people want to respond to this, but I think evangelism has had, it, it's just been uh, cornered, it, it put into a corner and polluted. It's a good word. It's about the gospel, the evangel, uh, but it's been sort of, in people's minds, it's people standing on soapboxes haranguing people, or it's fundamentalist Christians uh, telling people and shouting at them, but not perhaps practicing what they preach. And I think we take that into the word evangelism. I'm not sure that's fair. Chris, go on. I was going to say, first of all, it's an ism, and people are, 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 are fearful of isms, but it's also an active word. When I, I believe the most more sensible way round to um, into community is a more of a passive, passive way, I think. Mm. Uh, I'll leave people to dwell on that. Mm. Um, there's, lot, there's lots of different um, sort of uh, definitions of. One of them I heard recently, which I thought was quite helpful, was it's the way by which people become disciples of Jesus Christ. So it doesn't say how, but it's the way by which people become disciples of Jesus Christ. I mean, I do. really... Really, what I'm discovering more and more with my training is that there is there is no one way to do evangelism. And what I assume, Chris, you mean by uh, sort of being passive is actually being very gentle in your approach and kind of looking and seeing where people are, you know, where they're at emotionally, spiritually, you know, physically, practically on a day to day basis. And then meeting them at that point and finding a common ground and then you know, take it, taking it from there. And it can be very, very small steps and very gentle steps. Um, and actually I, I, you know, and that's very much the way that, that, I, that I am and how I approach things anyway. But um, I think my, certainly my initial th thought when somebody says to me, you know, become an evangelist would be, I can't go stand on a street corner and, and shout at people as they go by. But actually it's, it's, you know, in reality, it's not like that at all. And, um, and gentleness is really, you know, quite key, I think, with that. Yeah, let's have a look at some more of these. Um, the church is the only community that exists for the benefit of its non-members. This is a quote by William Temple, what former Archbishop of Canterbury. The church is the only community that exists for the benefit of its non-members. What does this mean for us? A charity is not a community in, a, in one shape or form, where they're where they come together to help others very often. So I don't think church is, is, is the only community there. I, not, I not think the key, the key thing here is, um, I would actually say that it's, it's the key word in this particular quote is actually the non-members bit. I think if you are a charity that is benefiting people perhaps with a particular illness or whatever, then actually they are kind of, even if it's, to use the word again, passively, members of that community because they have that, that need, you know, that's something that perhaps links them, their commonality. Um, but actually the church is actually looking to reach out to people who don't want to engage with its community. They, you know, they're not just people who are outside of it, they are people who perhaps are 
actively seeking to be outside of it, um, who are, you know, not just people who aren't actively in, but who are perhaps who are actively out. Um, and I, I mean, I personally, I think it's a really beautiful quote, actually. I think it's, it's lovely. And there's, there's, there's a lot in there that gives food for thought as well. So anybody want to come, come on about that? I'm trying to look for people putting their hands up. Kevin, can you see anyone? Chloe, I think, first. Yeah. Um, am I, yeah, just brief on that quote. I think it is a really interesting one because I've heard it quite a few times. And it's, a, it's one that's easy to say and harder to live because, um, as Heidi said, it's, it's easy to create a community you're, you're really happy with and you kind of like and you, you like the, the, mem the regular members and the balance and, the, yeah, the type of coffee you have every week and the kind of biscuits. And I know one of Heidi's questions was, are you ready to be challenged by people genuinely coming into your community you know, or, or kind of merging or mingling, to use that word, um, more than you do already. And, and it's a really uh, challenging question, actually, because we all know the answer should be yes. Um, but actually living that out is, is quite difficult um, because we get comfortable quite quickly and easily, don't we, I think. Um, so while it's a quote I've heard lots and I, I, I like the sense of it, it's one that kind of challenges me as well. Hmm. Thank you. Sarah. Uh, Was it Sarah? Sarah and Donna, I think. Yeah, going back to the um, evangelism thing, but linking it into the, the second point there, I think the thing that I find most off-putting about evangelism, whether in whatever guise, is the sense that somebody's right <laughs> and the rest aren't. And I find that really difficult to come to terms with because I think everybody has something to contribute and we are all capable of expanding each other's minds um, and I think that that ties into the second thing about the church um, being in the interest of other people that are out, outside or however the quote was phrased because once we leave the safety and security of being with like-minded people then the challenge to us is that we are left thinking we oh, don't know if I'm right which you know and I don't know how to communicate what I know matters to me and that it's the vulnerability that that um, engenders that makes it such a challenge to actually go <laughs> instead of saying come because if we say come then we are secure in our space and we are secure in our practices and all the rest of it and that's really fun you know we feel comfortable so the idea of going means that you may well be uncomfortable and you may well find yourself thinking help I don't actually know what I think about this and if you're in a conversation with somebody where you don't know what you think or you don't know how to articulate what you think then the risk is that you say nothing <laughs> and then you what was the point of going out so it's sort of you know there's there's a lot of learning to be done and a lot of risk taking to be done. And we need to somehow, whether that's prayerfully or by mutual support, common support or whatever, we need to have the capacity to get it really wrong. 
Yeah, and I, I think remember I said that that our our church community should be our launch pad, um, and by that I mean that we should be able to go into our church community and and be equipped in that way to be able to have those conversations with people outside and to have the confidence and to also know where to go to find the answer, you know, the questions that 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 might come up and to know, you know, to, to sort of look at that. You know, and churches should be resourcing their members to be able to to do that and equipping them. I think Sarah had to had hand up again to respond. Come yeah. on then, Sarah. I was just going to come back on what Heidi was saying about you know using the church and our services and such like as a launch pad, mm. and and that becomes then a bit of a double whammy because if the place where we it doesn't help in a way because if if we are if we use our church services with which we are familiar, we haven't we haven't we haven't learned anything about going out, have we? We've sort of made ourselves comfy, and we've um, we've thought, oh yeah, I feel really secure now because I've been with my mates, and and it all makes total sense. And then you open the door and you go out and you think, oh, I don't know where my mates are now, sort of thing, and the confidence can go. Well, I think you've 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 um, highlighted the fact we ought to have a whole course on what mission and evangelism is, Sarah. That'll be our next thing. Go on, Kevin. I was going to say that it, it, when I'm when I'm with ch church people, I don't always know what it's all about. To be honest, <laughs> and there's something there's something about the the culture of the church has to be a place which is safe enough to ask real and honest questions and share what we struggle with. Because we can't, that, I think it's, that's the place where we can, where it ought to be a launch pad, that actually we feel comfortable and actually I don't understand this or I'm still working this out. Because when you start articulating that, you learn to articulate it and then you're able to articulate in other company, I think. And our, our churches really should, should be, you know, we often talk about, you know, the church family. And, you know, family is a place you can be vulnerable and can ask questions and can learn you know, from others and not feel as though you're being judged or looked down on or, you know, thought of in any kind of negative way. You know, it's all right to go home as a child and ask your family, what does this mean? Um, and I think sometimes in churches, there is a culture of um, somehow we're expected to know all the answers already, which is bonkers, really. Um, you know, it, it should be a place where we can be asking questions. One of the best churches that I ever attended was a church that was... Um, so rough around the edges and and it was the, but it was also the most honest church and people would just walk up to each other and say i have not got a clue what was just said help me explain to me and it was it was you know it's a very honest church in that way it was, it was lovely actually to be part of a community like that thank you heidi i think actually we ought to probably draw it to a close there um but you've given us such a lot to think about and i love the fact that you opened up about your training with the church army and explained a bit about what church army is doing the holistic uh, approach to mission um, it's about changing communities as well as changing you know um, people go on Heidi um, I just wanted to read what um, Donna's just put in the chat because I think it's it's really pertinent actually um, and uh, she says that she was going to say um, I was struck just then for the first time that of course an evangelist is also meant to have the fruits the gifts of the spirit gentleness kindness patience self-control and so on um, and that in 1 Corinthians 13, it says, love does not insist on its own way. Um, and, and actually that flashed through my head as well, Don, when we were talking earlier on, that 
you know, being an evangelist um, is a, you know, it's a spiritual calling. And actually that means that you're, you know, walking through life with the Holy Spirit and actually the gifts of the spirit, the fruits of the spirit are, as you say, gentleness, kindness, you know, so you're not going to be that. That's why I don't really understand, especially now I know better about the role of being, you know, how can you be an evangelist and be aggressive in your, in your manner or, you know, that sort of, you know, stereotypical evangelist way. I think that's really good. Thank you. Donna, are you um, able to speak now or not? I, I give it a go. If the Lord doesn't edit me out, I mean... <laughs> Please pray for us. That would be wonderful. Let's go. Thank you. Well, let's pray. Lord, we give you thanks for your presence with us this evening, for the good word that you prepared in Heidi to speak to us. We thank you for the gift that she has given us in her presentation and in the question she has asked. And we thank you, Lord, for how we, as the body of Christ together this evening, have heard your word and been guided by your spirit into an ever deeper knowledge and love of you. And we would pray, Lord, as we prepare to leave this space, that you would bind us together in the spirit even more strongly and that whatever has begun to take root in this hour that is uh, of you and good and true, you would pour your water upon, Lord, so that it would continue to grow once we have left this space. Amen. Amen. Thank you, thank you very much, Donna. God obviously allowed you to speak then. <laughs> and, and Heidi, thank you very much indeed for what you've given us this evening. That was really, really good and we're really grateful um so if you can cope with it next time next week um same time and thank you everybody for your contributions tony i'm sorry we didn't answer your question about communism we'll keep that okay for next time god bless everybody thank you uh, Go well. I, I think i think probably answered the first question is is zoom community this is proved yeah. i also want to put it on record because we're talking about tea and coffee I will sell my soul for biscuits. Really? <laughs> Make some homebrew, Chris. Get on with it. We're all <laughs> digestive one. Thank you all. Bye. 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 Bye.